Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up earlier today with Ian Berzins, who is the CEO of Braveheart Resources. And if you want our thoughts and opinions on that conversation, the company itself, and the, its plans for next year, you can catch that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club, where you can also find detailed company reports. There's commentary from experts from around the world on a variety of companies and commodities. There are training videos on there. There are summaries of other interviews that we have done to save you some time. Of course, there is a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a safe environment. So go along and join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Ian, how are you doing, sir? Uh, well, thanks, Matthew. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, relatively new story to us. We've not met or spoken before, so I'm looking forward to hearing all about it. First of all, where in the world are you? Uh, we're in beautiful downtown uh, Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Oh, very nice. I haven't been there for a long, long time. And how's life in Calgary at the moment? Uh, it's balmy today, 10 above, but we had snow for the last uh, couple weeks before. So we, uh, we're we Chinooking right now. You're Chinooking. Oh, that's a great phrase, Chinooking. Hey, well, um, well, why don't we Chinook over to your one-minute overview, and uh, I'll pick it up from there. Great. Uh, Braveheart is a, a junior mining company, kind of moved through the exploration now in the development phase. Um, we have one principal asset called the Bull River uh, Mine. It's an underground mine with uh, copper, gold, and silver. And we're in the very late stages of acquiring a second asset in uh, Ontario, Canada, uh, near Pickle Lake called uh, the Terry Mine. And uh, it's quite a bit larger asset. It was previously operated by Umex uh, back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. So we'll have two principal copper projects. Um, the, the Terry project, uh, we're in the, the late stages, just waiting final approval from the TSX and the party that's uh, selling us the property. They have shareholder approval for the sale. So it, that's relatively imminent. Beautiful. Okay. Well, um, thanks for that introduction. First of all, um, I'm really keen to understand a little bit about the the business plan. I always am. I always start with that because both projects have something in common that they've both been past producers. But before we do that, can you tell me a little bit about you? What what's your track record of having created shareholder value? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, by training, I'm a mining engineer. Graduated Queens many decades ago. Um, I've worked virtually my entire career in Canada. Uh, between copper, uh, gold, oil sands, uh, and coal principally. Um, most recently, prior to joining Braveheart about two years and a, two and a half years ago, I was VP GM at Thompson Creek's uh, Mount Milligan operation, which is currently run by Sentara. So quite a little bit bigger project, 60,000 ton a day project. And prior to that, I was six years with uh, Sand Gold in, in uh in southeastern Manitoba, where we we brought that up to about an 80,000 ounce per annum operation for a full three years while I was chief operating officer. So I've uh, I've been on the ground. I've worked a lot in the Northwest Territories, uh, actually six provinces, three territories in Canada, a lot in the north. So places where infrastructure is important. Um, and I've had a chance to work closely with First Nations as well in all jurisdictions. So in terms of raising money, um, it's been a combination of, of raising money to bring projects forward. This one, um, 
you know, we've, uh, we've really changed what Braveheart is. So at this point, when I joined back in May of 2018, we were kind of a 4 million market cap company uh, trading at about 10 cents with, uh, with one principal asset. And uh, now today we're up over 20 million uh, more shares out there, but kind of trading around 13 cents in that range uh, this morning. So um, in terms of shareholder value, I think we're really on the precipice of really a breakout. Um, I think as our story gets better understood, uh, we're trying to differentiate ourselves versus a lot of the junior mining space in Canada. You know, we're not project generators. Most of us are miners. Um, and uh, we're what we're trying to do is to take assets that are arguably they've been past producers, they have resources in place and can be brought into uh, actually into production in three to five years. So we're currently on that timetable with Bull River and arguably we can do the same thing with uh, Terry, we'll, uh, we'll plan to do that. So our intent is actually to be operators. And uh, so we will drill, but it'll really be to support the assets we have or to upgrade the quality of the resources at those properties. Right, okay. Help me understand. So you've been there two and a half years. You've come from you know big companies before, big producers before. Why on earth would you join a small company like this? Well, partly I'd been on the road a lot. Uh, the previous 10 years, I'd been commuting weekly either to northern British Columbia or to uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba from Calgary. And so that takes a, a beating on you. Um, I'm in Calgary. And I'm not saying I was semi-retired, if you will, but... Uh, I got asked to join um, a group of guys that had initially a small project that was a high-grade gold. And uh, so I, I got to stay busy. So it's allowed me to uh, to kind of build the company and bring in new assets. And frankly, I'm only four hours away from our own, our primary assets. So I can be there as often as I need. So it's a it's a comfortable situation. And uh and so at this point in time, Calgary is a logical place uh, for me to be personally. And uh, with the assets we're, we're looking at, they're, they're all within, you know, practical distance uh, to, to get to on, a, on an as-required right. basis. So it's just, it's just easier for you. Uh, you've had enough yeah, of just either. being I mean, on the road. I've worked, for the, I've worked for the bigger companies. And, you know, you, you get to that point where I also, um, you know, we want to put a stamp on this that it's really ours. And... Uh, I've been part of senior management teams and larger senior management teams, but uh, we've got a strong insider shareholding base. And yeah. um, we uh, it just, just wanted to do something a little bit different. Okay. So like Braveheart's been around a long time. Okay. They've you know, got, been through various stages, hasn't really done anything up until beginning of 2019, I guess, is that when Bull River was introduced to the portfolio? Yeah, correct. I mean, the history of, of Braveheart is it, it, it morphed from a, a junior called Rainbow Resources, which was publicly traded in Toronto. A guy, uh, um, uh, one of our directors was, uh, was on that board and David Johnston is the founder of Braveheart. David had acquired a number of uh, fairly grassroots uh, uh, expiration targets in central British Columbia. So uh, when I joined in May of 2018, we had an option to acquire a past producing high grade, but challenging little gold mine near Nelson, British Columbia. So in the first six months while I was on board, 
I was looking for a practical location where we could actually mill the ore. So the mining, uh, it was uh, it was high grade, 16 grams, but uh, narrow and flat, so not not conducive to mining. But in my search for a mill, uh, I stumbled across a situation near Cranbrook, British Columbia, which was really a, a mine that in late May petitioned themselves into bankruptcy protection or restructuring. We were the first guys on the doorstep and uh, we looked and said, this is an advanced project that's been kind of under the wire. It had been privately held, so off the radar screen. And we just saw some tremendous value if we could basically unscramble the mess that had been made. And so uh, it took us from uh, initially, I visited the property in late May. Uh, We made our formal offer in September and through the different uh, hurdles with uh, getting it through the TSX and approvals, we finally were able to uh, to announce the successful acquisition uh, through the CCAA process on January 19th. So that really changed our world. Um, we gradually, we let the option agreement on the gold mine uh, expire. We still could go back and look at it at a different point. But this is much more of a company maker. So we said this is a really good starting spot for us. Right. Well, let's talk about that because I think the market agreed with you. You know, you know the, you saw a significant uh, rally in the share price. The you know, market was interested. And then a kind of slow gradual decline down into obviously the, the, the despair of March this year. And there's been a sort of bit of a recovery since. So I, can we, I, I, again, I'm just trying to get in the mindset of the management team, okay? Because you were looking at something else. You stumbled across by accident this, this private, well, un- unfortunately unsuccessful uh, operation um, uh, in, in, in the shape of Bull River. Um, did, did you... What was the conversation internally? Because you were looking, for, you were looking at it from a, from a milling perspective, and then you said, "Well, actually, hang on a sec. This is attractive to us. What we've been doing up until now has not resonated with the marketplace. We haven't got the market cap, the interest, ability to raise capital to do yet another small, whether it be high, high grade or otherwise mine. Maybe a change of plan is needed. Is it was it that kind of conversation, or was it just, well, we'll take anything that comes along?" No, I think it's a bit of that. I mean, what we had was what I would consider a fairly expensive option agreement, ultimately having to pay about $4 million to secure uh, ultimate 100% interest in this gold mine. Now, the gold mine, we had a 43-101 report that we actually had about 140,000 ounces at about uh, about uh, 14, grand, 14 to 16 grams. So, not a bad little project, but pretty small. It really didn't get anyone too excited. Plus, where it was in, in Nelson, British Columbia, uh, some challenges in trying to get permitted, and it was up at elevation, up at 7,000 feet. So you can imagine that you you might even be looking at a seasonal operation. So we said we can't be sporadic, drill it for three months a year, and then sit on the drill results, and, and, then, uh, the, and then the permit process. So I would say it was a bit fortuitous that uh, when I went to look at Bull River, what I found there was a fully developed surface infrastructure that it was lacking a flotation and a filtration circuit. Uh, it did have it, and it does have a permit to actually mine tons underground, but it was a fully developed underground mine down 350 meters, which to me was just unheard of. So then the question really came is, do we have the stomach to go after this? And what are we going to have to pay? because we really thought we might be bidding against some bigger boys. 
And so we weren't trying to be too cheeky, but we tried to put something on the table that made sense. So while other parties came to the table with simply an asset purchase sale on a dollar value, we got creative and offered what's called a plan of arrangement in British Columbia, where you actually take care of all parties. So we renegotiated with the two senior secured creditors that were treated peri passu. One was extremely difficult and had been the main reason this thing had found its way where it was. The other had been the previous dip lender. And so they were very, uh, very comfortable with, they needed a mining team. They weren't mining guys that held it. So, um, so we looked at that. We actually, um, we took care of the unsecured creditors. We actually gave them 30% of what they were owed, but in shares of the company. And then we offered the underlying shareholders an opportunity to purchase Braveheart shares by converting their share position. Now that we had 2,900 individual shareholders in Purcell Basin Minerals. We offered every one of them, regardless of their shareholding, five shares for every share they held. And ultimately, if somebody didn't have at least 2,000 shares, we we um, we added administrative fees. So we said, in order to do the transactions, thousand dollars. And so it, it was not. Uh, we thought that was a nominal amount to make sure that we basically clean the thing up. And ultimately, we had 118 previous shareholders from the company that elected to pay thousand dollars to convert their holdings and became Braveheart shareholders. So we added about 16 million. Braveheart shareholders on that transaction, just with the uh, just with the underlying Purcell. Fantastic. So there's a few few things going on there because again, some of the questions have been sent in to us is like, well, what's the history to this? Okay, so it's a, a private company it had not been run well. You, let's let's just take a look on on the ground. You said there are a bunch of things missing because they they weren't miners. They didn't know what they were doing, or they didn't have the money to actually complete the job. Well, a, a bit of both. Now, originally between 1970 and 74, the mine was run effectively or efficiently by Placid Oil, which was two of the Hunt brothers behind it. And they mined two small open pits. Uh, I think they did okay. They had uh, they were mining at about 1.7% copper with the co- with the silver and gold as well. But they weren't underground people. When they tried to collar a portal to go underground, they chose a poor location, had struggles with it caving, elected to sell it. So it finds its way into private hands between 1976 and 2010. And the particular principal of that, a fellow named Ross Stanfield, they kind of bounced around like a ping pong ball with what they were going after. So clearly, it's always been a copper, gold, and silver mine, 70 copper, 15% gold, the rest silver, generally speaking. That's what it is. That's what the resource is right now. And so they chased what they thought was rhodium and platinum and palladium and a whole bunch of rare earth minerals. And they told a pretty good story, but they raised between two and $300 million over that time frame. And they put that into roads and drilling campaigns. They didn't do a whole lot of uh, surface upgrades, but they did drive... 22 kilometers of tunnels. So we've inherited, if I was to drive those tunnels today in the underground, it it would cost us about $60 million. So they actually sealed out or drifted on structures on seven different horizons. So we're already in the ore body on seven different horizons down to 350 meters, which significantly reduces potentially the capital going forward. 
So really what happened is in those final years between 2010, Stanfield, uh, Stanfield passes in 2010, it's in, it gets into a very complicated initial restructuring under Deloitte and comes clear of that in 2014 with the $10 million dip investment by what was at the time called Cuveris, and they've been now renamed 216687 Alberta. So same guys, they are now shareholders of Braveheart, but they, they got involved initially as the dip lender. And from my perspective, had they been mining guys, they could have and probably should have been able to bring this operation back into production. They face the same challenge we do is that in that in the Placid days, the, the surface uh, tailings pond was completely reclaimed, they actually won an award for reclamation. So it was reclaimed. And so there's currently no capacity for tailings uh, disposal at the mine today. Uh, there's lots of real estate, but there's no permit. So we're in the process of trying to get what would be a new permit to deposit tailings initially on surface and then ultimately back underground. Um, and then we'll need a new effluent discharge permit. So that's the process that these guys were working on up until 2018 when they just simply ran out, ran out of gas and couldn't raise any more money. Okay, so tell me where you're at now. So apart from tailings permit you've got to apply, you're applying for, it, you say in your document you're fully permitted otherwise. I mean, what does that mean? So we have, we have permission. We could mine at 200 tons a day from the underground today. Gotcha. But a 200 ton a day mine at 1.7% at copper, it doesn't yeah. work. So no. It's got to be larger. So, right. so basically, uh, we're looking to get permission to mine up to the, the, the ball mill, that's, which is usually what you look at for your, the throughput of the mill. The ball mill is, is run at, uh, can run at 700 ton a day. We're looking to get our mining permits so we can mine up to 1,000 just to give us some, right. some room to work. But the, the surface, the front end, which is the crushing plant, is capable of about 3,500 ton a day. So it's grossly oversized for the mill. The grinding circuit is already in place. What we have to replace in the mill is the flotation circuit because we'll be producing a copper concentrate, kind of a 25% copper concentrate. And then Different than in the past, in the past, what they did is they then pumped the tailings at 35% solids out to a traditional or conventional tailings impoundment. And um, But what we're looking to do instead is we're going to utilize uh, as, as, the as one of the best available technologies is filter tailings or what's sometimes referred to as dry stack. So the idea with the dry stack is that post- Mount Pauly, which was Imperial Metals in, in, in 2014, they had a major dam failure, which caused a lot of angst in the province and then was understood around the world. But that failure of a conventional tailings pond uh, forced some new regulation, new discussion, new recommendations from an expert panel on how these facilities should not only be built, but managed. Um, in 2007, I, I was involved with the first probably dry stack operation up at Minto, which is in the Northwest Tor Territories under Sherwood Copper. So we, we put in a, a um, dry stack facility. Now, typically you do that in an area that might be more mountainous. 
So you get away from the large impoundments, the large earth structures, which obviously also have effluent inside. And if there's any kind of topping or failure, then they, they fluidize and, and you have yourself some problems. And that's happened around the world, including Brazil. So with dry stack, it's effectively what you do, you've got to add some cost to the milling process, but you dewater to approximately 10 to 12% moisture. And then you can actually convey that or truck that out to a lay down area. And then you would, uh, you would place it. So in the early years, our intent is to, is to use dry stack on surface as a, as a surface tailings deposition method. Um, we have a unique situation at uh, Bull River where we have 165,000 tons of mineralized, I have to say mineralized because I don't have a PEA for it, but I, in another world I could call it ore. But in any event, it's run of mine material that came from those tunnels I described a few minutes ago. Uh, that gives us eight months of pre-production and so that's at a 1.7% copper equivalent, but the mining's paid for. So the intent initially is to mill that surface stockpile in the first year. And then from there, we'll decide which areas of the underground that we would attack from a, from a mining point of view. Okay, brilliant. Th thank you for the detail on that. Um, that's all going to, it's going to take money to do this. Okay. So I just want to understand the what, what's going on at the moment. I know there's a 8.6 .6 million facility, which you've drawn some of that down. You tell me in a minute what. There's also um, a long-term, sorry, 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 let me get that correct. It was, it was 8 million facility and then 8.6 million long-term debt, which I assume is carried over from um, the, 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 the uh, Bull River acquisition. But you have, however, removed 2.4 million of debt as well. So that's the debt side of things and the facility. How much cash are you sitting on today? Um, we're sitting today about uh, $1.2 million in cash. Right. And we're up to date with all of our payables. So that, that cash position would allow us on basic care and maintenance permitting to move well into next summer if we don't do any more upgrades to the surface facility. Right. But so, let, let's, so let's talk about it. Let's, let's talk about the plan going forward. I'm, I'm, I'm parking uh, Thierry mine for, for now. Sure. I just I focus on, on Bull River. To get this moving to a point where you can um, pre-process, you can start to mine, you can buy the equipment you need, how much are you going to need to go, and go out to market to, to raise uh, and when? Correct. So right now, our, our uh, business model, we need to raise about $5 million. That would be uh, totally just, just specifically for the surface upgrades. Those upgrades would include a replacement transformer, a 10 MBA transformer, um, replacement of the flotation circuit, a new filtration circuit, and then civil works associated with the dry stack. So those four projects, uh, we have them in our plan as costing $5 million, but frankly, we're, we've, we've advanced two of them. So I put out a press release earlier this morning. I put another one out last week. And so the one this morning, again, was more to give our shareholders an idea that we are moving forward. I mean, when you're waiting on a permit, it's boring and, and, and it's hard to measure progress. So but what I wanted to make sure our people knew is that uh, we've actually, we own the transformer. We bought it last year for $265,000. Uh, 
We're completing two studies with hydro that cost us about 80,000. And then we have an agreement with hydro to reconnect to the original 66 KV line. So that project that on paper shows up as a million dollar project, we've already invested over 300,000. We'll probably bring it on stream for about 750. So in terms of the flotation circuit, we had an opportunity to actually acquire, um, I'm a fan of, of auto tech uh, technology. So we had a chance to, to uh, secure a uh, rougher and scavenger cells from, uh, from a company. Uh, they were in, they, they used to be at Gibraltar actually, the Gibraltar copper mine and their Mali circuit. So we, uh, they, they, they've got a larger circuit now. So we got the old cells they're uh, i mean they're bulletproof once they get reconditioned so they'll um so we've got uh that's a three hundred sixty-five thousand dollar acquisition so i'm quite convinced we'll be able to bring uh that online for again under a million so each of the projects we are um uh, we are taking some of our funds um and uh, quietly advancing those projects but on paper uh, we've discussed with a number of parties potentially uh, some sort of either a loan or a convertible debenture of, let's say, around $5 million. That would complete on paper the surface upgrades. And, of course, at some point, uh, you alluded to some of the debt that we have. I'd like to return to that in a minute. But uh, we'd also like to eliminate some of our more high-cost debt uh, in parallel to that. The biggest thing we, or the biggest challenge we've had is we've had the old chicken and egg where people said, well, we'd loan you the money if you had the permit. And I say, well, if I had the permit, the money would be a lot easier to get. So we get whipsawed back and forth. And, and then I get asked, why don't why not do a pre-feasibility or a feasibility study? And my answer to that and, and our board's answer is that there's $100 million of usable infrastructure sitting looking at us. We've got $23 million uh, metal value in the stockpile that we can monetize in less than a year, and we need $5 million to put it back to work. So do we go out and spend $250,000 to $500,000 to give us a decision that we already have made? So we're in a bit of a unique position, and I don't want to be, again, cheeky about it, but I mean, we just look and say, if I've got $500,000, I'd rather buy the other half of the flotation circuit and install it. And that's really when you do these studies, whether it be a PEA or pre-fees, they're all about de-risking. And so the the question to me is that as our share price moves up, um, we believe that we will have the opportunity to raise, you know, be it a quarter of a million or half a million, that money is going directly into the capital project. So um, so we're still on track right now. We we are waiting on our permit, but the, the biggest thing to be fair to government here is that they had asked for a detailed engineering design for the, for the dry stack. Uh, we're just about complete with Stantec Engineering out of Canada here, and uh, that'll be delivered. That's the biggest uh, component the government wants to see. So, frankly, they, they couldn't make their determination on our application without us doing some groundwork. So, again, we had to raise money to do the engineering studies so the studies can support what we want to do. Okay, so, so talk that's to me, in a nutshell. Talk to me, you mentioned some of phrase there which sort of interested me when you're talking about the cost of the debt because I guess the debt has different terms against different components of that debt. So you want Correct. to refinance that out as part of this 5 million raise, but 
um, whether it be a, a convert, a loan, or whatever. So what, what's so, so expensive about the expensive bit of the debt? Okay, so again, um, the, the debt is in two components. In order to secure the asset out of, call it the restructuring process, we needed to eliminate at least one of the two secured creditors. And so we borrowed $5 million from one of our insiders, uh, Aaron Matlock, who owns uh, Matlock Farms. So that debt um, is accruing interest at 14.8%. So we've paid interest on a portion of it and it's accruing on, on a portion of it. So uh, about 4.8% has already been paid off for the last two years. So there's about, it's accruing interest at 10%. Um, okay. So that is real. And then the other half of the debt was when we did the um, purchase, we, um, we offered the senior secured creditor, firstly, 10 million shares of Braveheart at 10 cents, and then subsequently a $6 million convertible debenture over three years. So when we set that up, the debenture was accruing interest at 0, 0.1 and 2%, so very low to no interest over that three-year period. Early this year, I renegotiated with uh, the principles of that, which we call friendly debt, uh, we decided we wanted to add a fourth and a fifth year just in case we don't have the cash flows to pay back. So no sooner had we done that than we were able to sit back down at the table and uh, we negotiated actually an early conversion of some of that debt. So initially when we did the deal, the, de the, the uh, debt was going to convert at 40 and 50 cents in years in year three, put it that way, year two and three, we reduced the conversion to 20 cents and 30 cents. So essentially right now, we were able to have the underlying debt holders to convert $2.4 million of debt at 20 cents when the shares were trading at 12 and a half. So that's been eliminated. Those shares, those 12 million shares have been issued. So it's part of the, the, the public float you'll see. And uh, the next stage will be to repay the 3.6 million in about four years time, or if the share price gets to 30 cents or in that range or above, uh, they can convert that into 12 million shares. So uh, we consider that as not onerous. The real debt that that to me, uh, I want to take care of is the five, five million owed to our insider. Yeah. Now you also alluded to 8 million now to clarify, we had entered into a facility with a group called Illumina Partners out of New York. Um, our feeling was that, um, you know, it was one of these facilities where every time you drew, it was going to be at an automatic 25% discount. And then we had a number of new investors that said, you know what, we don't like those things and, and, uh, and we're not investing institutionally because of it. So we took heed and, and it's not... It was more. It was more an issue of timing. Uh, the the although it was eight million, the, the 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 ability to actually draw it in these tranches was somewhat complicated, and it would have been difficult even to draw the full eight million. So we were we were able to uh, uh, negotiate with Palisades Gold Corp, who is one of the newer kind of merchant banks for mining in Canada. They've put money in a lot of different outfits. Um, they came in, uh, we, we negotiated that they would come in at seven and a half cents. So they did that about a month and a half ago. Uh, so initially, 
they came in for for an initial amount of about five million, and then subsequently we had a lot of interest um, uh, both in North America and Europe, and we were able to basically tack on another million dollars. So we raised about one point five at seven and a half. Uh, I would have liked to do it at a higher price, but it allowed us then to uh, put that money to work and. Um, and and then uh, subsequently we'll be raising money money at higher amounts. So how much did Palisade Gold put in? I you know I should have it read. I'm going to say five hundred. I, I should I should right. Have it yeah. Okay. It feels about right. Okay. Cool. Five okay. for five forty. I just have to remember exactly because it and was then, a yeah yeah pr- promote the bejesus out of it. Able- Got it. Um. Sorry. Yeah. Just I, I I get I get all that. I'm just I'm just trying to put the numbers together in my head and 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 I I get the the timing and the rationale for doing these deals at the point you needed to do them because it's it's like spinning plates at the beginning you're trying to mm-hmm. trying to <laughs> buy something without money it's always difficult but um you want to clean that up now so why mm-hmm. only five million I mean given what you what you're showing or suggesting at Bull River uh, at surface at the moment. I mean, what's that? What's that worth you? But you reckon about twenty million. What's the net number that you okay. think it's worth? Well, I, I think the net's going to be somewhere. The metal value is around twenty-three million. The net's going to be around seventeen. Now that's after smelter losses and and that kind of a thing. So, so um, we'll net uh, in sixteen, seventeen uh, million. Um, so what we're going to be able to do with that is. Firstly, to repay any monies that we're going to bring in. Let's say we bring the five million in in the next six months. We can pay that off automatically. We'll also be able to remove probably the Matlock loan in its entirety and still have some walking around money of about three or four million. So that's really first prize for us. Is that we would envision that if we assume for a minute that we'll have our permit in in early Q3, late Q2 next year we would mill for about eight months. And so halfway through, call it by June of 2022, the, the, the surface stockpile would be, have been completely consumed, but we would then be, we would be debt-free with the exception of the convertible debenture of 3.6 that's owned to, to uh, the right. previous uh, Right, so, so what we're doing here is we're making an acquisition, we're processing the, the um, the this this the the, the well, how much sorry how how big is it at surface how many it's about one hundred and sixty five thousand tons one hundred sixty five thousand tons okay so in a way you're kind of clearing the decks tidying up the the balance sheet uh, to, to kind of stand still as it were so the bit that I'm interested in is what happens then where's the real upside to to this I, I get that you'll be mostly debt free um, and you'll have uh, you know cleaned house as it were but Where's the upside to this going back into a form of producing uh, mine? Yeah, so the upside really is that um, we're in a unique position with the mine's been pre-developed down 350 meters. So just based on our current resource uh, that was done um, in late 2018, we have about 1.5 million tons at 2.26% copper equivalent. So again, that grade may not sound particularly high for an underground mine, but because 60 million has been spent on the tunnels, we have total access. The mine's dewatered. Uh, it's been maintained in a dewatered condition for 10 years, and we can go right 
and selectively decide which level or levels that we want to stope on uh, almost automatically. So the real, the main cost that we would have is that I want to do some uh, ground support with uh, probably put some new, newer bolts in, uh, in certain areas on the primary uh, tunnels. And, uh, but other than that, we could actually go back mining uh, even concurrently with milling the surface stockpiles. So, but what I'm looking at really is to try to say, number one with government, we want to demonstrate that the dry stack works in our application. Um, and then, so I, I see that milling of the surface stockpile is really what I would call a proof of concept. I, I don't need to, I mean, we uh, will hire the engineers at the time it takes to actually do the detailed stoping, but once you've pre-developed, we're either going to do a mechanized cut and fill or a long hole or potentially even shrinkage in localized areas. So we've already locked ourselves in to a degree on how we're going to tackle the ore body. But to your point about what's next is we put uh, five drill holes down in first quarter of this year below that 350 meter level. So it's, it's what's called nine level in the mine. But we intersected the same structures 150 meters below the current bottom of the mine. Now, again, doesn't sound like it's all that deep, but that arguably could then increase our 1.5 million tons. And when I say 1.5 in the resource, that's based at a on a, a 1% copper equivalent cutoff grade. So it really depends on how efficient and cost effective we are at the mining. Um, that could impact the actual resource we have. But there's no good reason that this ore body can't go down a thousand meters. So we're really at the top of it right now. Uh, once we get back underground, again, uh, with a, I'd like to sink some deeper holes, something again that proves that this deposit may go down, you know, another 500 meters anyway. The real issue is going to be that 2% um, copper is kind of on the cusp if you've got to actually spend money on the development, but we'll have a nice six and a half, seven year project without spending any appreciable amount of money in um, in capital. Like the sustaining capital is in the range of two to three million a year, so it's not excessive. So it will provide a nice little cash cash flow from this mine. Um, and you know, and I'd like to I'd like to move to Terry at some point here, but you know, people have said, well is the money that you're going to make at Bull River enough to do your other plans? And frankly, um, that'll depend on, on the size of other, other things that we're going to tackle. Right. So but just on the surface of it, we'll have a junior mining company with positive cash um, and a call it a seven year life as a minimum going forward with the potential. It could be a 20 year project. Right. Okay. So it's uh, self-standing two to three million bucks. Um, fine. If you're not going to have to raise capital, you don't need to go through the process of working out the economics in terms of the cost per pound of getting it out of the ground. Okay, so you feel confident that you're going to be in control of your finances to be able to get underground and produce enough cash to be self-sustaining yourselves as, as, as an organization. Is that, is that right? Correct. So, I mean, the once the surface is upgraded, it's done. Right. The only thing that we'll have to do is at some point would be probably to add a pace plant. The underground equipment, it's a bit dated. So we're going to have to decide is the cost of maintaining a dated fleet make as much sense as potentially leasing or, or buying some new equipment. But but we have the mine has been maintained 
in a kind of a, a, a ready state for the last 10 years. Right. So so what do you need to do? I'm just trying to, again, trying to picture in my head. What do you need to do on, on the basis of what you see today? It's, it's not a huge mine. It's not a lot of pounds, but you are making money each year, self-sustaining, as you say. But if you go deeper, the, the big if is if it can go deeper, there, there's more pounds to be got at and it could make some money. It, it's not a, a big business, but is it going to be big enough to contribute towards Cherry, which I know you, Thierry, which you want to talk about now, or does Cherry have to stand on its own two feet as well? Yeah, so um, number one, uh, people are saying, why are you doing Terry um, when you haven't even got Bull River going? And are you abandoning Bull River? What's what's the message? So, so for me, I'm saying, no, number one, Bull River is our flagship uh, until until it's not. And uh, we are going to put Bull River in operation, uh, demonstrate that we can mine successfully in British Columbia, a positive cash from that. So then we establish ourselves that, you know, Braveheart has done exactly what they're said they're going to do uh, in a province that at times can be challenging uh, from the permitting structures. But we're of the view that it's brownfields, it can go. And as the government has said to me, they don't see any showstoppers here. So you know you're you're near you're near existing mining communities. You got grid power. You got roads. You got everything ready to go. So we're going to put brave. Or we're going to put Bull River into operation, and then um, if I can kind of segue a little bit into Terry, uh, I saw a really interesting opportunity. Again, I guess it comes back to how people look at the world. Um, I stumbled over you know looking at various different projects, and I became aware that. Um, Cadillac Ventures, uh, which is a junior mining company, has been around for for quite a while. It it uh, it mer- merged with something called Richview back around I think 2008 in that range. But at one point in time, um, well, Cadillac has two assets. The one of the principal assets was the Terry Mine, which is a past producing copper nickel mine, with uh, with the palladium, platinum, gold, and silver attributes. Um, what we what we observed there when we looked into it is that they had a uh, a PEA that was actually done uh, a fairly decent NPV on it. I think it was three hundred seventy eight million dollars, and it was done by a group called P and E Consultants. Um, but between two thousand and eight and today, uh, Cadillac uh, had a number of different initiatives going on in those early years between being in Spain and Peru and two jurisdictions in Canada, and they really weren't able to keep the momentum going. They did quite a bit of drilling, all successful, just about every single hole hit mineralized material, and they were able to significantly upsize the resource there. So I think we've got about, I don't have my screen, I don't have my deck in front, but about eight and a half million tons there. So similar grade to Braveheart, uh, pre-developed underground. It is flooded, but there was a shaft, there's a decline, and there's about 24 miles of lateral developments. So what I looked at there was that at one point, I think around 2010, Cadillac Ventures was actually a 45 million market cap company based primarily on the on the attributes of Terry. So this was a mine that ran successfully for six years where they really only went after the, it was a Belgian company called Umex that owned it. And they principally mined copper. In the latter couple of years, they picked up some of the nickel 
and then some of the gold and silver. And I, I think they pretty much at the time, palladium was only at 50 to hundred dollars an ounce. So they weren't even focused there. Now you've got palladium up at 2,200, 2,300. So it may not sound like a large number, but when I see 0.14 to 0.16 grams palladium throughout the deposit, I get kind of excited because that could take five to seven and a half dollars a ton off the mining costs. So we looked at that and I said that uh, about four years ago, Cadillac had optioned the agreement or optioned the property to a group out of Toronto called Northern Fox, which was private. Uh, Northern Fox had planned to raise money to bring this property back online and to earn their 70% interest. Uh, when I looked at it, I didn't want to be in an option agreement. I don't like them. Uh, I said, my, my strong preference is I want to own it outright, 100%. So if, we, if we're able to secure the, the Terry mine, we'll have two properties that we'll own 100%. Now, if the deal goes through, we'll be paying uh, Cadillac 300,000 cash, uh, 13.5 million shares of Braveheart, and then there'll be a 2% NSR that we can reduce to 1%. Uh, so they'll become 30 significant shareholders of Braveheart, but we'll now have a project that's got on paper, uh, just in the MNI categories in the underground, um, over a billion dollars of metal value. It's also got one significant open pit called, potential called the K1, and then two smaller pits called the J and the G that again are around 1.4% copper in that range. So I'm really interested in, sorry, 0.4% in the open pit, but both the open pits have grades that are similar or better than any of the copper mines that are currently running in British Columbia. So our challenge is really gonna be on Terry is number one, we wanna secure it. Number two, we're gonna be issuing upon securing it a new PEA to start with. And uh, we'll then have, in my mind, we'll be purchasing an asset for under $2 million Canadian that's got several billion dollars worth of metal. Now, you, you know, it, having metal value and be able to mine economically are two different things, but it has a history of being mined before. It's very near an established mining town called Pickle Lake. It's got grid power within eight kilometers. It used to have grid power right to site, and it's got paved roads right to site. So when I look at projects, uh, this thing has a significant resource to it now. Um, so it's got underground potential, open pit potential, and uh, we'll have to decide again. We're very uh, we're in the very late stages of of this acquisition. Uh, Cadillac secured shareholder approval a couple of weeks ago, and. Uh, we're waiting now on the TSX for final approval. Braveheart doesn't need shareholder approval. Um, it's a material acquisition, but it doesn't require shareholder approval. So our intent is to secure that. So now we're going to have two significant assets. Uh, the Terry mine's probably five to 10 times larger than what we have at Bull River. So could it become the, the flagship? Sure, it could. Um, to your earlier question, uh, will Bull River spin off enough cash for us to put Terry in, in production? Short answer is no, not, not, in the, not in a time frame that makes sense to us. So we'll have to go out and look for financing. Um, but uh, 
we don't have any royalties right now on uh, Bull River. Uh, there will be the small royalty that we'll leave with Cadillac on the Terry. But both these projects, and I, I failed to say this earlier, both the projects, um, Bull River and Terry, we've acquired or we're acquiring significant tax losses. So in the case of Terry, there's about $100 million of tax losses that would be attributable to that property. But what's more impressive at Bull River, and I, I would a bit remiss in not mentioning this earlier, but when we acquired Bull River, we initially looked at purchasing the assets, but we ultimately bought the shares of Purcell with all the warts that come with buying, buying a company. But the principal reason for that is we secured $152 million of tax pools specifically associated with Bull River. So the Bull River mine will not pay tax for 10 years once it's in production. So again, when I look at the different aspects of how Braveheart tries to attack a problem, we look at all these things and say, you know what, uh, you know, when they're, they're all additive. Uh, and, uh, but uh, we thought that the risk of buying shares was made sense relative to the, uh, uh, to the um, potential to, to, to defer tax. So, uh, so that's, that's our current situation. So again, I, I'd say we're, we're very close. Uh, Cadillac remains motivated to close. We remain motivated. I, I expect that this will certainly close before Christmas, but uh, like everything, there's, uh, there's particular hoops that you have to go through, but there's nothing that should derail it at, at this point in time. That's amazing. I, 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 that, that's, I didn't spot that. The tax loss position is significant, not now, but it will become significant in terms of making it attractive to potential acquirers, for instance. Or if you choose to go that way yourself, obviously that's quite beneficial indeed. But um, like, first of all, thanks very much for running through that. I mean, my, my, my next question I think is, does this set the pattern? Does this set the tone in terms of M&A uh, going forward? Are you still gonna continue looking for other projects as well? Or you, as your shareholders pointed out, get focus on Bull River, get this transaction with Thierry over the line and get focus on getting in production, or are you acquirers? It's a great question, and, and I, I, I don't know if I'd get scalped if I went to the board with another acquisition, but this, I mean, the one that we're trying to do with uh, the, 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 uh, cat, or the initial one with Bull River was considered to be a bar, uh, a bargain acquisition is what the accounting folk called it. So it was uh, certainly accretive to the company and it really changed where we're going. This one, if we're able to bring it to the conclusion is, is significantly more accretive. So um, we'll look really, I mean, I'm not, um, I'm not really of interest to go pick up a property and do primary expiration for 10 years and drill and drill and drill and then flip it. But I think that Braveheart is going to get on some radar screens with some bigger players. Uh, we're still a little bit small for the uh, mid-sized copper producers in Canada. But uh, Terry, um, Terry could be that kind of an asset that someone says, you know, how did they get that? How did Braveheart pick that up? So we might have some partners come to us. Uh, clearly with copper at 350, uh, there's people that are now interested in copper who weren't six months ago. And um, so, you know, so would we look at other things? I would say just based on my experience and, 
and and most of our directors, uh, we're going to be a North American based company. I mean, I think uh, we'll look for value. Um, I've spent half my working career up north and beyond the tree line and projects that that take tremendous infrastructure to get going. So there are some mega projects, but I don't want something that's going to cost a billion dollars to build. But if we can build, for example, uh, the current the PEA that we'll be looking to do on Terry will be likely a 4,000 ton a day underground operation similar to what it was. So if you could build that for 175 million, that you know you don't have to. <laughs> You can you can probably get your head around that kind of financing without uh, even having a partner to get involved there. So we, I want to watch that we have a project that on paper looks really good, but the capital component is so daunting that you don't get started and you miss a cycle. So um, so that's right now. I mean, we see ourselves clearly as a copper player. Uh, I really like the idea that we've got some palladium potentially. Uh, there are other companies uh, that are between sitting physically located between the Pickle Lake and, and let's say the uh, North American Palladium mine in near Thunder Bay, Ontario. So that whole belt up there is blessed with copper and nickel and, and the, P, uh, uh, the PGMs. So, um, so that's, I guess the other thing I like is, is that we're now multi-jurisdictional. So Canada in general is considered a safe country to be investing in. But now we have two separate provinces that are both historically very pro-mining. And uh, But we'll look, we'll continue to look in uh, largely Western Canada, uh, but also, you know, for opportunities in the States. And uh, if we can see some situations where we could add assets um, without having to spend a lot of money to acquire them or to uh, c- control them. Because quite often what you'll find is that Junior mining companies will enter into these agreements where they put a little cash down and then they commit to the to these work work commitments over a period of four or five years. And they're one year in and they can't they can't raise the money to do the work commitment. So some of these things tend to fail. And that's really, in my mind, what happened with Northern Fox is that they had great expectations, uh, but they never raised any money. And so at the end of the day, uh, that, that's where I don't like certain option agreements because uh, if you can have it free and clear, then you can decide where and when to spend money and, and how to create value. For sure. Stay in control of, of all of this. Yeah. Look, Ian, I'm just kind of conscious of time here. Um, maybe you can come back on and we can drill down a couple of those things, especially around Thierry. I think I'd be interested to uh, understand how you could move that forward. But first of all, get it under your belt get that approved. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to also just sort of see where you end up with regards to this restructuring of the finance, because I think that's critical to get get tidied up, uh, especially if you are going to go back out to market. People want to see a, kind of a tidy balance sheet to all of this. But um, I've, I've enjoyed hearing this story. Copper's going to be big for next year. We keep saying that. Um, and I think it's uh, going to be true for 2021. So appreciate your time today. Um, pick up the phone, listen to how you get on, okay? All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.